Hey, uh, this morning we are uh, working through James, and my good friend, Reverend Michael Ivey, is going to bring the word this morning. Would you welcome Pastor Michael? Yay! You know, it's, it's really funny because we're, we're jumping in James, and James is one of those books that really doesn't need a whole lot of explanation because he says what he's going to say, and then he says it, and then he says it again, and it's really plain. So I'm, I am thrilled, literally thrilled, that we could just hang out and worship because we have three sentences today. <laughs> it's like God knew that's all we can handle, like three sentences. And you know, guys, that this is a letter, okay? The, the book of James is originally a, a letter, you know, Pastor Jeff already explained that, that James, the brother of Christ, wrote this letter, you know, and I'll tell you, as, as, a, as a nerd, any fellow nerds in the room, you know, I spend like one to three hours for every minute I'm going to speak preparing for a message, and I could tell you all kinds of things about the Greek and the Hebrew and the lexicons that I fumbled upon, and uh, none of that matters. Simply put, the Word of God is what matters today, and you know, if you've read through James, you realize that it's a ginormous kick in the teeth the whole way through, but yet so many people are like, oh, it's my favorite book of the Bible, and I'm like, why? I feel horrible when I read this because I'm convicted, but I know the answer is because it's the truth. So let's dive in the truth. We're going to be in James, of course, chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. So if you would, stand with me as we read the Word of God. We're going to just dive in. Here, we, we round the corner. We're just in another section of the same letter you know, in your Bible, there might be a heading right before 19. There might be verse numbers. All that's editorial content that's put there by publishers to sell more Bibles. This is a letter. It's meant to be read all the way through. Here James says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. These are the very words of God. You can be seated, and frankly, I can't say it much better than that. I mean, in, in, in all reality, there's not much more to say. I mean, I got like eight pages of notes over three sentences, but I really feel like the Lord wants us to hear these words simply today. And I have all these notes, and, and there are two things that the Lord's laying on my heart. I'm going to take a left turn. While we were worshiping, the Lord laid on my heart that there may be some of you in this room that are rejoicing about a decision and saying, finally, the country that God chose, he wants to say to you that that's an old covenant. There is no covenant with a nation. I made a covenant with you. With you. It, today's verse of the day, it, it smacked me. If you guys use the U version. 
I got to get back there. You know, and it's fun when Jeff starts sharing the same verses that you highlighted that the Lord brought to you this morning. The verse of the day today was about myself being crucified to the cross with Christ. That means your preferences, your traditions, your prejudices, right there. God made a covenant with you. He wants to enter into a covenant with you. The other thing, and I think because we just need to keep this simple, is that we're going to skip to the very end. See, verse 19, the very first one, Shanna, if you could jump back. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's verse 19. That's a sentence. That sentence is descriptive. Okay? It's not giving you a rule. It's giving you a description of what your character should look like as a transformed, spirit-empowered believer, a follower of Christ. It is descriptive. Verse 20 needs absolutely no explanation whatsoever. It's just a simple Small statement of truth. Human anger does not produce the righteousness of God. It's ascriptive. It's ascribing to us, our human anger, unrighteousness or injustice. If we skip to verse 21, this is prescriptive. A prescription is telling you to do something. And that's what it is. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Now when we get into prescriptions, it's really easy to start making rules. This is simple. It's succinct. It's easy to really focus on, well, you got to do this. But when we make rules, we start getting legalistic and making checkboxes, and we lose aspect of relationship. We're religious more than, than relational. What we need to do is focus on realities instead of rules. So the beginning of verse 21 is, is really, really strong, and it shows that the author what he's going to say, what James is saying, has already been inferred. He says, based on this need to live up to God's standard by living self-controlled in our interactions with one another, here's what you need to do. And he gives a list of things that need to be put aside. You know, that word put aside really means to lay away. Or like in ancient times, it meant to take off clothes. Like, I mean, take it off. Get it off of you, out of your life. What would we put aside? Well, this word is used throughout the New Testament as well. Like in Ephesians 4.25, put away lying. Or in 1 Peter, you know, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander. And honestly, in Hebrews, or, yeah, Hebrews 12, anything that would slow us down and keep us from following fully after Christ. That's where this word is used to set aside anything like that. So the moral filth, well, you know, that translates to the figurative sense of a term that literally for, refers to dirt. And it's figurative 
uses it, it connotes bad behavior or moral uncleanliness, sordid attitudes, and the evil that's so prevalent that we need to set aside, translated very, very much to that great mass of malice, the malicious and vulgar wagging of our tongue. And boy, we'll get back into that when we get to chapter three. Now, mind you, there is no coincidence. I mean, Jeff asked me to preach on this specific three sentences months ago. And it's something we need to hear today. If you're following with my logic, I wonder what's going to happen by the time we get to chapter three. Yeah, I just throwing that out there. So I'll tell you, all of those community corroding attitudes and actions have to be done away with because they're out of line with God's righteous standards and therefore inappropriate for his community or really in horizontal relationship with anybody. So what needs to be set aside could be really, really obvious you know, it might be like the list we mentioned before or what we read in Galatians 5. Really simply put, starting in verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you this again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. We need transformation and the renewing of our mind to reject these behaviors and become more like Christ. Then again, the things that need to be set aside might not be as obvious I mentioned Hebrews 12:1 before. It says, "Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us." Those things that slow us down. Those are the things that take our attention away from being fully about the Father's business. We're going to need God's wisdom to identify those things and release them to follow Christ fully. The reality is that we need to set aside anything that keeps us from God and replace it with something that brings us closer to him. So, accordingly, the author continues with what needs to be embraced as a replacement Second reality we need to focus on is those, those things set aside need to be replaced with the word in humility. I don't think it's odd. I don't think it's coincidence that in our prayer time before this service, we touched on humility. We touched on loving others well. And we touched on a heart that is willing to be changed. So, as we set things aside, we need to replace it with the word. Now, it's really easy to get tripped up and think that is just 
the Bible. It is all of God. It is not just reading your Bible and you'll be okay. It is memorizing it. It is dwelling in it. It is seeking encounter with God. Everything that we pull out that distracts from being fully about the Father's business should be replaced with more of him. So as I use word, think fully that I'm talking about the fullness of God. What matters most here is that the author says, humbly accept the word God has planted in you, which can save you. The word humbly really is a posture of the heart. Gentleness or meekness as opposed to aggressive arrogance. Let me say that again. Accept the word with gentleness and meekness. Don't weaponize it with aggressive arrogance. It's kind of fitting, honestly, because James is talking about so much the horizontal relationships. See, his heart was about winning his Jewish brothers and sisters to the lordship of Christ. Can you imagine that you grew up the brother of Jesus, that you have a Jewish heritage, your brother became the Messiah, predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection, you believe, and now you want to tell all your brothers and sisters that, hey, this is awesome. And some believe and some don't. That creates division. We as brothers and sisters in our own body and in our community should be known by our love, how we get along with one another. That starts by humbly accepting the word in humility. But we can't accept the word at all if we don't know the word. Why is it important to know the word? Well, it can change us. But let's look at, a, at, at Christ's example. When he was tempted in the wilderness, how did Jesus respond every time? With the word, with scripture. That's our example. From that, we know that Jesus didn't fall into temptation. He didn't call in a heavenly airstrike, and he didn't give up and go home. He stayed steadfast, and he gently, humbly responded with the word. We need to be in the word, dwell in the word. We need to memorize the word and share the word and surrender to the word so we can live out the word. There we will find the ability to, to leave those things set aside, whether we lay them down and then be transformed and renewed in our minds and be fully about the Father's business. 
But as that sentence ends up, it mentions the word will save us. It has the power to save us. Which honestly should help us understand that this transformation and this time in the word should be a lifelong effort. So we start with the prescription. We need to lay things aside and humbly accept the word. So that we can end up as described. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get anger. What does that look like, and why does it matter? Well, we're in a time where everybody's going to want to talk, and everybody's going to have an opinion. But as a transformed, spirit-empowered follower of Christ, we're going to need to be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to get anger. And not just listening for a key phrase or thought or idea so that you can respond with a predetermined quip or a weaponized scripture. I'm talking about listening to understand. Listening that way will very naturally slow down our speaking. It might not, though, do much for our flesh that wants to get angry, that's where listening that way can allow us to pray in the Spirit and to just pray and seek the Lord's help. God has a lot to say about keeping your mouth shut. He really does. You know, we talked about why we like this book because it's the truth. And the truth doesn't need support, but the beautiful thing is there's 65 other books that truly support this truth. So I put together a list of about 20 different verses that talk about when you need to keep your mouth shut. So here we go. First one, keep your mouth shut in the heat of anger when you don't have all the facts, when you haven't verified the story. If your words will offend another weaker brother, keep your mouth shut. When you're tempted to joke about sin, keep your mouth shut. When you're tempted to make light of holy things, shut your yap. If your words convey the wrong impression, be quiet. When you don't know what you're talking about, I mean, really, Scripture has to say that. Hey, stop talking if you don't know what you're talking about. Have you heard the phrase, fake it until you make it? Don't. Pray until you make it. If the issue is none of your business, be quiet. When you're tempted to tell an outright lie, I mean, really, we have to say this out loud 
if your words will damage another's reputation. Hang on. Let me read that one again. If your words will damage another's reputation. That, by the way, that's Proverbs 16.27 if you want to study that on your own. So all y'all might need to go back to Facebook or Twitter or Twitch or TikTok. Or, you might need to edit some things that you've said or remove them. Or better yet, apologize and seek reconciliation for them. When your words are gossip or seeds of strife, see what I just said about that. Uh, when you are feeling critical, keep your mouth shut. When you're tempted to mislead, when it's time to listen instead, or if you might eat your words later, keep your mouth shut. If you've said it more than one time and now you're nagging, when you are tempted to flatter a wicked person, keep your mouth shut. When you're supposed to be working instead, I get to I slip that one in there because you know I work during the day and manage lots of people. So, no, I'm not preaching at anybody. I mean, really, the Lord says there's time to be quiet and get some work done. Most importantly, when your words will cause trouble for your soul, keep your mouth shut. You know, and it's not just that the Lord is saying here in this to be quiet, don't say anything. It says quick to listen, slow to speak. Okay? So if we've looked at the sampling of verses that, that are, are, are laced with advice or, or prescription of when to be quiet, we also need to really look at when we speak. In fact, Jesus himself has something to say about this, uh, and I know the verse very, very well. Um, it, you can find it in both Matthew and, and Luke um, where, where Jesus is, is talking and, um, man, he's describing the condition of some people's hearts. And I'll use Luke um, since it was the partial verse that I had to write in grade school. Now, there's a story with this and I'll share it with you. Um, I think my mom and dad are watching right now. So, mom, thanks. Um, so my mom taught in public schools for like 45 years, okay? So if you guess, I'm like going to be 49, which means, yeah, she knew every one of my teachers, and my teachers knew her. So when I got in trouble, my teachers would call my mom. You know, they wouldn't call the principal. or They would call my mom directly and ask, Linda, what should we do with Michael? And as you can imagine, I had gotten in trouble, and, and, and so what would happen is generally, rather than writing sentences, I would have to write scripture, and mom would give them the scripture for, for me to write. And so in fifth grade, my teacher, Mrs. Armstrong, was a believer, uh, even though she used the NKJV. I'm kidding. That was a joke. Um, but so I had, I had, you know, had to write this verse, and so... What Jesus says here is what you say flows from what is in your heart. That's Luke 6.45 in the NLT, okay? What you say flows from what is in your heart. Now, what I had to write was a little modified version from NKJVs. For out of the abundance of the heart, so does the mouth speak. Now, I will not fill in the blank of what I said to have to write that a hundred times, 
But mind you, I had to write it, and what that did was concrete in my heart an understanding that what bubbles out of my mouth is in direct relation and proportion of what my heart is full of. Okay? Where your heart is, so that's where your treasure will be too. What do you talk about most? And it's okay to have hobbies, and it's okay to like sports, and it's okay to like your job and even your businesses and talk about those things. But the overwhelming majority of the time, what do you talk about? Better yet, what comes out when you're squeezed? Our hearts convey what our, or excuse me, our mouths, our words convey what our hearts are full of. And our hearts are full of what we dwell on. So, if in response to temptation and conversation, a, a temptation to, to stew on fleshly anger, that we choose to dwell on it, allowing it to invade and prevail our thoughts, it will eventually lead to sin in our actions, either through word or deed. How on earth could this lead to the righteousness or justice that God desires? Well, it can't, and that's the whole point of verse 20, which again I said verse 20, here it is. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. It doesn't need much explanation because it's a, a simple true statement of fact. Now, again, anger is not a sin, and verse 19 doesn't say that we shouldn't get angry just as much as it doesn't say we shouldn't speak. It says slow to get angry. And I've actually preached about Jesus and anger before. I don't have time to jump all the way through that, but it's on our YouTube channel. I'll tell you this. What makes us angry should be what makes Jesus angry. And what makes Jesus angry, what makes God angry, is people blocking access to his love. That's it. But what I do want to focus on, what I do have time for just a little bit, is the notion of righteousness and justice. So you might notice as you're reading through in, in some of your Bibles, there's a little note by the word righteousness. It doesn't produce the righteousness. It, it could also be translated as justice. That's because in the ancient languages, in, in Hebrew and Greek, much richer definition. They're not as finite as the English that we use. But I want you to note, I want you to pull away from this, that generally throughout the Bible, when righteousness is mentioned, justice is also envisioned, especially when it's speaking directly about God. For example, Psalms 89.14 they're always together when they're talking about God. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. So we know this book was written in Greek. This letter was written in Greek. And, and, and the word that was used was meant to convey kind of this conventional Jewish non-technical sense of righteous action. Not a character quality, but that of action. So this word depicts the Christian life under the scrutiny, 
the scrutiny of and compared to the light of the word and standards of God. Our animosity towards anyone can't create the kind of life or reveal God's character that he desires. So God's righteousness here refers not to that part of character, but our actions and thought that he requires of us and his Holy Spirit empowers us to have. The beautiful thing is that righteousness that God desires, it will become ours if we genuinely accept what is called that implanted word. So there we get back to our prescription that we need to set some things aside and then humbly accept the word, having a heart that can be changed by the word, not only the word of God in the Bible, but by the presence of the Holy Spirit, by the sharpening of other brothers and sisters that can humbly accept because it has a power to save our souls to the ultimate culmination of our salvation in heaven. It's meant, and it will be, a lifelong practice. I'm going to ask the worship team to uh, come back out. We're just going to spend some time in prayer. If you uh, have the U version, did we get printed versions of the prayer model out today too? Good deal. I just want to end up in some prayer. I think we need to just take some time. You know, if you were coming to hopefully hear talking points on how do I respond to the inevitable conversations tomorrow at work, I can't give them to you. Because I don't know every story, and I don't know every angle, and I don't know every conversation but I know a God that does. And as much as it's not coincidence that we ended up in, in these scriptures today, I know that God can prepare us and will prepare us. So we put together a prayer model today to just run through these verses because as we pray scripture, we pray the perfect will of God. So in an effort for us to be better prepared, to recognize that we have one mouth and two ears and that we need to listen and truly listen to understand so that we can respond with God's love. We're just going to sit with some music going. I'm going to turn it back over to Jeff, and we're going to pray through. And then we'll have a close. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you want to stand with me, I'd love you to do that. We're going to pray just an abbreviated version of this per model based on James 1, 19 to 21. How many of you know that you need help? This is our chance, and, and my, my encouragement to you would be to take this with you and or the U version, uh, it's on there. It's also on our, our church app. If you have the church app, 
uh, the Church Center app, I think it's called. Is that right, Andrew? Uh, you can find that in the app store and download it and get all hooked up with everything you need for our church. But we always put this prayer model on there. Uh, and it's meant to equip you through the week. So I just think, man, of all the weeks for these verses to be in the forefront of our heart, this is the one. And so let's just pray it together. We always start by praising God for what he tells us about himself, and then we turn that into a request. So let's praise God that he's a loving God. Aren't you glad he loves us? But he loves those people out there as well, right? He loves all those people, all the people that agree or disagree. He loves them all. Can we just thank God? Let's lift our voice and our hands. And God, I just thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. God, that there is no shadow of hatred in you. God, there is nothing in you. You are love. God, that's how you define yourself. God is love. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you love those people, God, out in, in our workplaces, in our homes, God, in our neighborhoods, in our families, even in our families, God. You love them all, God. I thank you for that you, are, that you are a God of love. Now let's ask him, turn that. Because he's a God of love, God help me to love well. Let me love with your kind of love. Would you pray that over yourself? Come on, lift your voice with me. Don't pray in your head. Go ahead and speak it out loud, would you? God, thank you that you love us. God, help us to love. Help me to love well, God. Help me to love one-on-one, -on -one, God, in personal relationship. Help me to even up the love of God in my heart, even to come through on social media, God, and in text messages and in emails and all these things, God, that, that these tools we have, God, I pray that that love would come through. Give us wisdom, Lord, wisdom and humility to love well, I pray, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Now let's praise God that he is a righteous God. He delights in our righteousness and injustice. Can we thank him for that? Come on, lift your voice. God, I thank you that you are a righteous God. Lord, there is no wickedness in you, but you are a God of righteousness and you have put that righteousness and that justice in our lives through the power of the cross, through the power of Jesus. Lord, you have deposited your righteousness. We're not clothed with some, some human idea of righteousness. God, we can't be good enough, but you have clothed us, God, with your righteousness. Thank you, God that you are that kind of God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Now I ask God to take the burdens that, uh, are, are the issues of our life that trip up our righteousness and help us to be holy, help us to live a life worthy of God, worthy of his calling, to throw off those things. And man, if, if you're in this room and you're carrying one of those things, you're carrying something that just trips you up and hinders you, would you just throw it off right now? God, we just throw those things off right now. We throw off uh, division, and we throw off anger, and we throw off lust, God, and we throw off malice, Lord. We throw off those things that trip up the people of God. We just curse them, Lord. They're part of our first birth, Lord, our old nature, but God, you've given us a new birth into righteousness, and so we throw those hindrances, God, and those things that entangle us off to the side that we can live in your righteousness. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we're almost done. Now would you praise God that he is the great redeemer and that he is a transformational God. Aren't you glad? How many of you are glad you're not the same as you used to be? God is transforming you. Come on, would you lift your voice and thank him for that? God, you are a transformational God. 
You don't save us and leave us where we are, but you save us towards something, God, to be transformed by your power and by your word. You transform our behavior. You transform our ways of thinking. You transform our belief systems, God. You make everything new because you're a redeemer and you redeem us from empty ways of life. Thank you, God, that you're a transformational God. In Jesus' name, now can we ask him to transform us, to redeem us, to make us right, and to help us take that same power to the world around us. God, help us. Make me transformed, God. Transform the places of my heart and my life that aren't yet transformed. Redeem me from the wickedness, God, that might still yet reside in my heart. Make me new before you. Make me clean, God. Make me righteous before you in Jesus' name. And God, give me the courage to stand up and to and for your righteousness and to stand up for your justice, God, and to take these things to a world that desperately needs redeemed and desperately needs transformed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now all over the room, can we thank God for what he's going to do? Come on, lift your voice. God, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Come on, church, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. God, we bless your name. We bless your name. Holy is your name. Righteous is your name, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord, it's good. Amen. Amen. May we live this passage this week. May we walk in holiness and righteousness this week. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hey, there's youth tonight. If you've got a middle school or a high school student, please bring them out at 6 o'clock. It's going to be a great time together. We're going to sing our way out of here. So I'm not coming back to say goodbye. I love you. I hope you have a great week. You're in my prayers. We care about you so much. Uh, Have a great week. Love you guys. God bless you. Sing us out.